Bottoms up. care of yourself. You and your body are going to be together a long time. Be good to it. Sempre viva. Live forever. Welcome to The Letterbox Show, the podcast about movies people love watching from Letterbox, the social network for people who love watching movies. Our spooky season continues this episode. We are raving to the grave with a filmmaker who has dabbled in darkness and make-believe ever since her dad gave her a camcorder when she was little. We are fighting against the sadness. We are living forever. We are walking home alone at night with Anna Lily Amirpour, whose latest film is Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. It's about a young woman who can do psychotelekinesis, plunge deep into the nightlife of New Orleans. And her four favorites are American Psycho, Death Becomes Her, Gremlins, and for those feeling a little horror-weary, the 1980s kid alt fantasy, the never-ending story, as a little treat for yourself. Lily, your friends call you Lily, so we'll call you Lily because we're all friends here in the Letterbox Show. Welcome. It's a pleasure to chat. Thank you for having me. That was the best intro I ever got in my life. <laughs> yes. Yes. Five stars for our intro slim. We're already winning. Mission accomplished. <laughs> okay. Um, all of those films we've already mentioned aside, the first most important question, can we talk about Keanu Reeves's hair in The Bad Batch. Mm. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I never have a, an issue talking about Keanu. That's one of my favorite subjects. You know, he was playing a pretty extreme and bombastic, charismatic, bizarre kind of cult leader type character, a psychedelic cult leader. And I mean, there was a lot. I'm pretty... I get pretty into the visuals of character design. I think it it already tells you a lot about like who they are. And the thing with the dream was, yeah, I I pictured this kind of long side part kind of hair. There's something a little retro about it. It's funny. And the mustache, which Keanu had never had a, yeah. a, a mustache in a film before. He told me that. He was like, this is the first time I've sported a stash. Wow. So I was honored honored to be um the first stash. The the hair was a wig. I mean his hair wasn't wasn't like that, you know, so a really good wig. And um Who made that wig? Was that was that a Rob Pickens or was that a It's funny because he's so amazing that when it came time to the wig and the production was kind of trying to be tight with cause wigs when they're made with real hair and they're handmade can be quite expensive and production was being tight about things. And he was just like, I'll pay for the wig. He just bought. Amazing. Just bought. That's just, that's wow. part of the course. That's, that's really Keanu. Like, I'm so glad I asked. Oh my God. Yeah. On, on every level. I'm glad I asked this, the, the lineup of your four faves, when you look at the posters together, American Psycho, Never Ending Story, Gremlins, Death Becomes Her. These films look absolutely beautiful together. It's all like deep blues and vampiric violets. I would love to know mm. what your bedroom aesthetic was, maybe still is. 
I mean, I didn't see American Psycho when I was a child. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Death Becomes Her was a little later. Never Ending Story was definitely, is still probably, when I think of the most important movie that probably affected me the most of any movie I've ever seen, it's the Never Ending Story. It's like there's mm-hmm. something supreme and untoppable about it. It's like just a kid being able to control what all of reality could be with the power of his imagination. And like, it's just like deeply profound for me. And like just all of the things that you face in that movie to face it as a kid, it's so like useful. They don't make movies like that. Like losing your horse in the swamp of sadness. I still think it's like the saddest scene in all of cinema history. Like what's Mm -hmm. Sophie's choice is maybe like... (laughs) Somewhere up there, but it's a different kind of sadness because it's like, you know what it is? It's like, we will all lose someone, something that we have a relationship with that we love so much. It is like a universal truth. We all will lose something and we're helpless to it. And we have to stand there and just watch it go. And it's like just part of life. And like, it's so scary. And the Gamork in the cave, like facing the thing that you're the most scared of, that scene where they're in the cave. I don't know if we were supposed to talk about the never ending story. We have to now. We have have to. to. (laughs) We have to call an audible and get right into it. 1984. It's hard to not like, you know what I mean? If you're really young, that was scary. Like it was scary to me on a crazy level to see that wolf in that cave and be that close to it. And they're having a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's like a Tarantino moment. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's a different, it's a deeper kind of tension where you're just like there with your your biggest fear, your biggest enemy. And there's like some kind of weird respect between them because they're having a conversation about the order of things and that they, that it's inevitable. I remember that, you know? It's like, I think Gremlins is deep too. Yeah. We'll get to that. But let's, yeah. I mean, speaking of we will all lose somebody, this year the world lost... Wolfgang Peterson, who co-wrote and directed The NeverEnding Story. This film, I've, read, so I've written in my notes, it is absolutely not okay that, to have to watch the Swamp of Sadness scene ever again <laughs> in your life. I am ugly crying every time I have to watch that scene. And Morla, <laughs> it's like the turtle, the ancient turtle. Oh. He goes to all this length to find this turtle. It's like... He's going to try to get help to find answers. He's going to the farthest corner of the world. He loses his horse walking through this depressing swamp to get to this turtle. And the turtle's just like laughing at him. Like you can't do anything about it. You know what I mean? Like it's just like there's something. There, it's, it's, I, watched, I rewatched this with my wife this week in anticipation of this. And one of the rare occurrences, I'm usually the goofball quoting a movie and her telling me to shut up because I'm ruining the experience. She was the one quoting this movie. So she is in the same boat as you where she had seen this at a young age and this one was extremely formative for her. Mm. Um, and I saw, I was looking up some letterbox reviews. One of my friends, Danny, left a letterbox review for this. No fantasy film dares to be this bold anymore. Cowards. Yeah. And I, I see that trend in, I think we see this trend in most of your four faves as we'll get into in this discussion. But what do you think when you rewatch this? Do you get that vibe where like, where is the modern version of this for kids like I was? 
I don't think there's anything like this for younger kids. I think it's become so anesthetized and you can't say anything and do anything and even be remotely uncomfortable. So it's just... It's like the closest the closest we get is Bing Bong and in Inside Out. And like, that's sad. Yeah, He's a lovely those, character, those, but it's... Those are great. I love it's animated. Not it's yeah. not the same. It's not. Gremlins, I mean, it's like... Are I would say everything everywhere all at once is for teenagers of this mm-hmm. right now social media era. I think it's a really smart, well done, like the best Marvel movie Marvel never made. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, it's deep and psychedelic, and it has something in, in it. Um, but I don't see this like. Have you seen the the new uh, Dark Crystal that was on Netflix like a couple years ago? The is a new puppet. one. Yeah, they made like a modern version of the Dark Crystal with still like all puppets, puppetry. Is it, good? it was very good. I was, was kind of blown good. away. Yeah, it was very good. It, it left me wanting more, and I was like, it, "This is that." That was it's the vibe movie? that I got. Yeah, or it was a um, it was either a movie or like a mini series on Netflix. Um, but it left me with the same kind of feeling that like, "Whoa, this is kind of dark and has meaning." Where I can see this being like scary ish for like a younger group, similar to movies like Gremlins or Never Ending Story was back then. I mean, I guess some people would say Stranger Things, but Stranger Things, I don't watch it. I, I don't really like it, but it's not deep. Mm-mm. Never Ending Story is so cosmic. It's like about the meaning of existence, the power of the imagination that like you can create and manifest your reality. It's about this kid and his personal problems. It's not about like monsters and the nothing. Yeah, the nothing is like this beautiful metaphor for like, don't be defeated by sadness or like, you know, powerlessness, like like to fight through like everything, how hard life is. Mm. Never give up and good luck will find you. It's just like everything about that movie, but like you will go through hard things. I just, I, I rewatched that movie so much. I love it so much. So much. It's just magical, isn't it? If they remake it, if they remake it, it's going to be like a Nightmare. tragedy, a tragedy. <laughs> you, you know what else it's going to be? It's going to be not, okay, this is going to sound like a really uh, inappropriate thing to say CG. about, yeah, about a film that's about um, two young boys and puppets, but it's not going to be as thirsty either. There's something about the aesthetic of, Atreyu and Artax, his horse, you know, this long-haired oh boy. God, and his horse. Oh my God, Willow, Labyrinth, <laughs> all those films, they're just, they're super horny for young women coming into their own oh, sexuality. Yeah. I don't know about you, but like these were extremely formative for me. I loved Atreyu, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely, had a crush on Atreyu. I'll point out some letterbox lists uh, that this appears on. Movies I want to show my kids. Rachel has this on a letterbox list. I feel like that's very true with everyone that loves this movie. And also Yaz has When You're Feeling a Little Lost letterbox list. never ending story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're feeling a little lost, I think that's like beautiful. That's really, yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. I think maybe I'm always feeling a little lost, you know? <laughs> right. We all, we all are. I mean, the Bad Batch would, should probably be on that when you're feeling lost. Yeah. <laughs> the Bad Batch needs to be on a best wigs paid for by the actors. I think it's probably better not to, for me to not look at what people are saying <laughs> on that. Have you have you ever have you ever been tempted to scroll letterbox reviews of your films? I think I have I have to be very careful for my, you know, psychic health. Like 
it's hard when you're putting a movie out or if you're at Venice or whatever. There's I, I was very, with my third movie when I was at Venice last year, I really just prepared myself well. And I, I was at Venice. I turned off. I didn't really look at anything. I told the press people not to send me anything, good or bad. And then I just did the press, like, interviews. Mm-hmm. I could tell from talking to people that they enjoyed it. And then I went to Greece for 10 days. So I did not have cell thing, you know, cell phone abilities. So I wasn't even able to go and look on Twitter and do anything. And it was really, really healthy for me. Like I, it's hard. Like, cause it's like, I do though. Like, it's like, then I came back and time had gone by, people had told me it was like well-received and then I'll just like, stick my toe in the pool, like just really quick. Like I'll just go, I'll look at a couple. Sometimes it's letterbox thing. So I'll click, you know, and just get a few, get an idea of like what's being said and then go out. I wasn't that smart about it with the Bad Batch. And it's a very provocative, divisive. The reactions were strong, mm-hmm. which is like a good thing. Now it's like, I love that you know but it, it's hard to it's hard for me to even put this podcast out i probably won't even listen to reactions to this episode for like a month after I, I would probably be too damaged if people didn't appreciate our conversation it's just very hard to be in the world isn't it and in, in any kind of public way and make something and make something and then and then put it out there that but part, i ha- that that part is easy i think it's the part where people when they don't have a physical like presence in front of you are able to just be so ugly and rude on the internet. So it's like, you know what I mean? I do not ever go to Reddit. I don't think that's a good place. I went there once in like 2017 and I was like, I'm out of here. Amazing mental health approach to, to this stuff. But if you do go on Letterboxd to read reviews of your films, they're People write poetry. People write yeah, poetry about your see. films. Yeah, yeah, they get really, really, really deep. It's it's wild. I've seen some good ones on Letterbox from tweets. Like they'd have a tweet to the Letterbox, and I've clicked on it and seen mm. some. And it's like, <laughs> see the thing for the artist or like whatever. It's like if you read one good thing and one bad thing, neither thing is like. There's no reason for me to absorb this stuff. I just have to like like what I'm making myself and hope that there's people that like that too. And then just continue on because you know what I'm saying? They cancel each other out. But like five years when I started Mm. reading stuff about the bad batch just recently. Wow. That's that's so we'll check back in five years about Mona Lisa (laughs) to see what everyone. Yeah. No, Mona Lisa is a little, Mona Lisa is a little bit of a good time movie. So and I knew it was that. And I, I mean, you can get deep if you want to. It really depends on the person. I was having a great time. There's one review that I do want to spotlight. Someone left you a haiku <laughs> film review for Mona Lisa okay. in, the blood, in, the, in the Blood Moon. John left a haiku review. I am a whore for Anna Lily Amir Poor. Please give me some more. <laughs> And that was a positive oh review God, of Mona Lisa that just, got, just dropped. Is that a guy? <laughs> yeah, John Williams. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that was John Williams. We can get his email address for you if you want to hook up with John. It's, I mean, it's unorthodox. <laughs> we don't do it for anyone. But <laughs> One of your other four phase, before we go harder into your films oh. real quick, let's talk about American Psycho because I'm so excited to talk about American Psycho. I consider this to be like the letterboxed 
movie. And when I say the Letterbox movie, I mean, this is one of the most popular movies we have. Everyone loves to talk about American Psycho, but we haven't covered it yet on this podcast. And not only that, I don't, I've never seen it before this week, believe it or not. This is the first time viewing for me. Lucky for you. That's a great gift. Uh, first time. Yeah. Thank you very much. 2022. Gemma, what about you? Have you ever seen American Psycho before Confession this week? Confession time. And this is the thing I love about the Letterbox show. There are so many iconic films that for one reason or another I haven't seen, but I get to watch for the first time because a filmmaker like Anna Lilia Amirpour has put it in their four faves. So it is a first time watch for me as well. Confession. Oh, you guys are like really got some passion. This is great. (laughs) At this point, Lily's like, wait, is this a specialist (laughs) film podcast or what? What is going on with these guys? (laughs) I also have another confession related to this film. Huey Lewis and the News' album Four was the first album I ever bought with my own money. And hearing Patrick Bateman reviewing the album through this film yeah, had me feeling funny feelings. It's a it's a it's a Brady Sinellis, you know. Book. Yeah, yes. So, but I think it was so cool about it was like Mary Heron gave it this like there's a romantic it's like it's like romantic like because I feel like Brady Sinellis can it's a cold it's a harsh edgy thing but then Mary put this there's the humor and the, the there's a romance to how every moment is how everyone appears how it looks like it's romantic. It's romantic, as twisted as it is, you know, yeah. like, oh, my God, I love that movie. It's funny because I thought of it. It just happens that that was every time I'm making something, I will have like a few one or two movies that I use as references or that are starting jumping off points, whatever, on the fumes that I'm huffing. <laughs> so I just did a, I just did a movie. Uh, it'll be coming out in. Dude, two weeks for Guillermo del Toro has a new anthology series in Netflix. Oh, yeah. And it's eight, you know, it's eight movies, eight different directors, eight different. Nothing about them was different. They look different. It was he really treated it like this is a movie. Do whatever you want, you know. So American Psycho was one of the references. And so was Death Becomes Her. Mm. I told I literally told Kate Mikuchi. Is the lead. I was like, it's it's like American Psycho meets Death Becomes Her with a touch of Muriel's Wedding. Oh my God, I'm obsessed with Kate Micucci. I'm obsessed with her co- musical comedy duo. She is amazing. How she did gets you? Weird in this. Oh, this like, cannot this wait. Like, yeah, anything she's done before. This is so exciting. She's one of the best. I love her. I had known that you had done one of the pieces of this special, but I was looking at the overall like assembled team that he had gotten. What an incredible group of creators, including yourself to, you know, put it out there, do it, you know, have that kind of like ability to make something fresh and new. And so many people are going to be able to see that. I think this is hitting Netflix, right? The Guillermo del Toro anthology series. Holy moly, a couple weeks away. Another thing for folks to add to their watch list. I mean, that's because Guillermo's such a G and he's so cool. And then he's like all about you doing, going all the way. There's no anesthetizing it. Like, I think my, I don't want to spoil or anything, but. Yours is the best. That's what you're about to say. It's the best. I was going to say it's unexpected and bananas. It's not going to be what you think, I think. I think, 
you, I, I, I can't even really say anything. Okay. I told you American Psycho <laughs> and death becomes her. So that's already that's, kind of bananas. And yeah. that is all I need to hear. Yeah. I have to say, so American Psycho, the, the, the space it occupies in, in cinephile land and, and on Letterboxd is so weird because like you look through the lists that people have this film in and on the one hand, it's in the film bro watch list. <laughs> Which may be a tongue-in-cheek mm. list uh, made by Josiah. It, he calls it, a.k.a. the Gaslighter's Bible. It seems to be the kind of film that, you know, so-called film bro cinephiles love. But on the other hand, it's also on a list called Red Flag for Men, White Flag for Women. And the Etsy who created the list writes, run if a man likes these movies, but if a woman likes them, I surrender my life to you. I love you. And so there's this. <laughs> oh, really? Like, so the list, the list is implying that more men like it than women. Well, no, these these two lists are, are, are sort of two sides of the same coin, which is that yeah. you know, there are there are um, there are cinephiles out there who don't get the 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 beautifully ironic treatment that that Mary and Guinevere have given it. And, really? And and the sort of the the gaze, the gaze they've put upon Patrick Bateman. I mean, it seems so obvious, right? But I think. Maybe it's about the age and stage you're at in your cinephile journey when you first come to this film. Mm-hmm. But it's so it's so weird to me that anyone would take uh, it seriously, offense? yeah, or take offense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I can I can I can see that. Like if I had watched this, if I had the DVD and I watched this, I probably would have been, you know, like what a weird movie, <laughs> like what a funny weird movie. Yeah. But then as you like consume more writing and you're older, maybe you've consumed more things and then you watch it, then you can kind of see another level of brilliance in the work that maybe you probably wouldn't have realized at a younger age or sooner in your kind of film watching life. Yeah, because she's so good at like, it's so good at just making you, you're, it's like Tony Soprano. You're just on the side of the bad guy. It's so fun to be bad. It's so fun to watch what horrible depraved thing he's going to do next and you're like so with him that then when you get into the really dark stuff you're like I'm kind of uncomfortable right now like this is, <laughs> this is really bad right now and then it just goes back and it's also playing with like it's playing with that with like how far can you you know how far can you tread into those things and then, then he pulls you back and and the cast I mean I'm sorry oh but gosh. like yeah. It's, it's like an astonishing. You've got Reese Witherspoon, Chloe Sevigny, Willem Dafoe, Jared Leto. I was reading too about how she, Mary had fought for Christian Bale in the role. Yeah. Like there was like second guessing, looking back, it's nutty to even think it, yeah. but they were second guessing that decision. She she left the project. Bale also left. They were going to make it with, was it DiCaprio? And, oh, what? Um, so I, another named Oliver Stone and DiCaprio were then really? attached, which is bonkers. Yeah. So that was like the team. And then Bale knew, like, this is a Wikipedia. I could be just making shit up, but Wikipedia says Bale knew that that would fall through. So he did not sign on to any other projects for like almost a year. And then they gave up, they brought Mary back in and Bale was back and they were able to make the project. It's just crazy looking back about how hard she had to work. It's crazy how they did the same thing to Catherine Bigelow about Keanu and Point Break. And she was right. They were like, I don't Mm. see this guy as a cop. He's too soft-spoken. Like, he's not a cop. Like, how's this guy going to be? And she's like, no, trust me. And then it ends up, Jack, who who helps provide, he provides the facts for the Letterboxd show, um, writes here that American Psycho is the most 
popular film of the year 2000 and the second most popular on Letterboxd of all of the 2000s behind only The Dark Knight. So Christian Bale, supremacy, you know, Mary Heron was absolutely a thousand percent right to fight for him in this role. I I love how it's shot and how it looks too. It's got this like really hard lighting that like I love and I actually like couldn't do it in my last movie because the lenses are so wide. So there's nowhere to put lights because you could see, (laughs) you can see everywhere on a 15 millimeter (laughs) lens. But on my other two movies, I like hard light. I mean... I wasn't inside inside spaces too much, but like American Psycho, also Pulp Fiction, these really hard lighting, like it's it's almost like a throwback, like noir kind of feeling. Uh, I love the way it looks. I love the way American Psycho looks. Oh my God. That pink, that pastel pink restaurant in the opening scene. It's just sets. If you, if you don't know that it's got its tongue in its cheek throughout the entire film from that one opening scene, then what are you even doing? Watching I feel like movies, a lot of young 15 year olds or 16 year olds, if they saw it, might like get offended. They'd probably shit their pants if they saw this movie. <laughs> they would get offended and go on Twitter. It's quite funny because uh, Jack of Jack's Facts did talk to Guinevere Turner um, a couple of years ago about her and Mary Harron's film that they did about Charles Manson. And um, you know, she was, she was, he was saying that American Psycho holds up really well for the Trump era. And she's like, well, one could argue that it works better now than when it came out. And, you know, it's, it's just, it just gets more relevant with every passing year. Yeah. I, one thing I realized about myself watching American Psycho is <laughs> what a sentence. <laughs> what a sentence. <laughs> is so every week, Slim and I have to watch at least four films for this podcast uh, on top of everything else. And consequently, other things, you know, have to get sacrificed. For example, exercise. But when I saw Patrick Bateman doing his hundred crunches to oh, the yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I was like, yeah. I'm watching movies all wrong. I could have abs of steel right now. And yeah. that is it. From this day forward, I'm just going to be crunching while I'm watching movies. He definitely <laughs> was a, a whiff of a, that that moment. There's a whiff of that vibe in A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night in my my pimp in that movie. Like his <laughs> attitude, yes. like when he gets home and it's just like, I'm going to I want to ask you about these amazing characters you have because in Mona Lisa and the Black Moon, was like I love I I love all of them, but Fuzz has a very special place mm. in my heart. Let's talk yeah. about this DJ with the car that's got a disco light and a, a plasma ball, and is is the only person that um, your lead character Mona Lisa doesn't manipulate with her psycho telekinesis. He's she doesn't mess with Charlie either. But, oh, true, um, true, true, true. Okay, so let's talk about, shall we move into Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon? What we've got is a young woman, Mona Lisa, wakes up in a a psych ward. She can do telekinesis, uh, psychotelekinesis, which is what, Slim? How would you describe it? I mean, if you've read a comic book, as I have since the age of eight, you're very well versed in these abilities. People can make people do what they want with their minds, make them move, (laughs) make them say things. Uh, That's the gist of it. So she's almost like a loose X-Men. A loose X man, X woman. Yes, that's what some people said. It's like, it's like, but if you didn't, you know, you're not like 
part of the. I mean, they're like basically CIA or something. It's like no, yeah. you're just trying to live in the world. You're not trying to save the mm-hmm. world. That's ridiculous. She just wants some Cheetos. <laughs> and she wants to have a good. There's no Professor X in this universe to help her take her to a nice fancy school. She's on her own. She just wants yeah. a bag of Cheeto puffs. <laughs> she. Yeah. That's what we all want. So she manipulates the staff of the Louisiana psych ward. She gets out. She. Uh, is befriended by Kate Hudson, who then uses her to manipulate people to give Kate Hudson money. Uh, Kate Hudson's character takes her into her house where she meets Charlie, Kate Hudson's character's child. Uh, And more things happen that you should watch. It's this girl busting out. You know what it is? You know how I describe it? I would say it's like this this girl is like a hungry, dangerous newborn. She's she's going out to like have a... And it's like one long night. It's kind of like one of those nights where you go out and you think you're just going to, nothing's going to happen. And you wake up two days later in someone else's clothes and like meet a bunch of different people. And like, just, you never would have thought you invented it up where you ended up. Mm-hmm. And Kate Hudson yeah. plays a stripper. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Little kid. Craig, Craig Robinson is dope. He's such a funny, like amazing man. And Fuzz. Yeah. Let's, so let's talk about Fuzz. Cooking eggs and his day glow tea. The vibes. I mean, he's a psychedelic Buddha. He's like a techno Buddha. He's like, I think, I think I just basically invented my dream guy (laughs) in that character. (laughs) He just doesn't do anything he does. He doesn't do it for something in return. It's Mm. like the rarest, most Buddha-like. And, you know, you, I think many people would overlook him. In the uh, you know and write um, him off. Like, I, I overlooked him when I was watching the movie because when you, when the when the characters first meet, I'm like, oh, here we go. What's this guy? Yeah, what's his what's his freaking angle? Shady. Yeah, Mona, yeah. be careful, Mona. Please be careful. Yeah. And then that like well, now we spoiled it, and right. no one's gonna know that. <laughs> it's only the first few bad. minutes. <laughs> yeah, you get you, when you first see this character, you do have bad vibes, and maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Who knows? But I love I love how you play with all of those assumptions in all of your films. And especially yeah. in this one, it's like, oh, here we go. Here's the guy outside the bodega who's, yeah. you know, <laughs> and here comes this young woman in a straitjacket who's hungry. What's going to happen yeah. here? And I I just, I guess there's so yeah. many other characters to, to talk about in Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon, but he just really stood out for me. For the way that you upend our expectations. We fall in love with him. But we also fall in love with Charlie when he says to Fuzz, don't call me baby boy. Yeah. Charlie's (laughs) like, I'm not a, yeah, don't mess with me, man. Well, you can say the same thing too about, we were talking about all these characters, but Kate Hudson's character also. Like right at the the onset, you're like, oh, hell yeah. Let's let's, let's have these two be BFFs. And then (laughs) things drift from there. For better or yeah. worse, for Mona Lisa, I, I love that dynamic between all these characters. Really, oh, Kate is amazing in 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 this. It's just so fun to see. I mean, she's taken a beating from the first time you meet her to the last time you meet <laughs> yeah. her. Like, is she, is she, it's like I I don't judge Bonnie. I love Bonnie. I, she's like a shark. She just doesn't stop moving. She's not. If she gets knocked down, she gets back up. She's not waiting for someone. I feel like in movies, like whenever you have a, not always, but in general. Like, it's fair to say that if you have a female, like, stripper, exotic dancer, or prostitute character, mm. the movie is going to teach you a moral lesson by the end. Feel bad for her, that she has to change her life. She's going to hit rock bottom. Like, it's always that sad story. 
about these type of characters. And I'm yeah. like, you know what? I've met plenty of girls at dance and they just like pay for their freaking junior college and get braces and like go on with their lives. Like mm-hmm. it's not, it's an honest job. It's a hard job, but it's an honest job. And she's. Absolutely. Absolutely loved that character for that reason. And I also love uh, when filmmakers like you take someone like a rom-com queen, like Kate Hudson and, and allow her to show some different muscles it's yeah. so exciting. She has to, it's funny, like to me, I people always comment on that. It's like I felt the same with Jim Carrey, like even Keanu. I think it's like I I just like their it's not their fault they become like they just become the center of a business that model that works for the studio. So it's like the studio knows they're gonna make a hundred million dollars off a of Jim Carrey comedy, they're gonna do that every every movie for 30 mm-hmm. movies in a row it's just a it's just a multi same with Kate and I think Keanu has that like with a certain action thing and Momoa certainly has it they they, they all kind of have that but I always look at this like with, with Kate Hudson for me there's something about her I I am such a fan I have since 200 cigarettes like I, I love all of her movies and even watching a movie that's not a great movie. Like I will watch all of her movies because I want to spend time with her. Her vibe, her energy is so real. She's so like grounded in her, you know, in her personality and her sense of humor. And I also do think that comedic actors, when they get it right, when they make you, they take you there, they're the real true geniuses. They don't, it's like, it's not celebrated in the way like drama for drama is, but I think like true comedy takes a certain level of genius. Mm. You have to, it takes intelligence to know the nuance of how to find humor in something in any given moment. It's like, you know what I mean? It's you might be in the middle of like, you know, a tsunami and you might also have to take a dump. Like that's the way life works sometimes. <laughs> like that's true reality. It's like sometimes when I watch like, an action movie that's all wet and cold and drippy. I'm like, everyone's so serious all the time. You know what I mean? It's fun. I like that too, but... When do people eat in action movies? Like, you know, they've got to stay they strong. They eat a lot in my movies. They okay. eat a lot in my movies. I'm like, guys, it's time for a snack in the story. Like, a lot has happened. Well, you're talking about how you would you wanted to spend time with Kate in her movies, whether they be good or not. Well, it seems like these actors that are so large to the audience want to spend time with you in these movies. So what is it? Oh, yeah. you know, like, do they see that kind of like appeal and the way you make movies, the way you love movies where they're like, hell yeah, let's get weird. Let's make something fun and exciting. Yeah. I certainly would say the ones that I have worked with, there is that connection, you know, three movies in they've seen some stuff. I mean, even with the bad batch, it felt like just like Jason was the first person. I, I wrote that part for him and I just, I couldn't, there's other big guys that maybe could have done it, but it was like for him. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like, yeah, I'm so in this very aggressive, stylized, amplified vision quest kind of space that like it's very, it becomes very clear. I think it makes it an easy thing to know. I don't think you're like, well, maybe should I, you know, it's like, okay, let's go, like you said, let's go get weird. And they just, you know, it's kind of an all-in thing. I don't have Limitless, unfortunately, and hopefully it will happen where I have the bigger, 
a little bit more. Just, I don't want a lot. I just want a little bit more time in my shooting schedule. <laughs> just I'm a bit like, more time to work with every these. Every time I hang out, every time I hang out with my other directors, I'm like, how many days did you get to shoot? Like 35, 35 <laughs> for that. It's like two people sitting in a coffee shop. You know right. what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm like, I got like banana stuff happening. I need more days, but yeah. A girl walks home alone at night. Can can we just talk about this poster, please? Is this not maybe like the most iconic poster released in the last like 20 oh, years? Wow. I mean, right? What is there? Is there a fun backstory behind that poster? I mean, congratulations, obviously, to you for the poster, but it's so good. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I love the poster. The, the funny thing about the poster is, well, I made a comic when I was... Um, after shooting the film and then we were in post-production, we made a comic. I had all these other stories about this girl. So we made a comic. We made the first issue uh, to be ready in time for when the film came out and that we could like give to people. And that poster, that image was one of the alternate like comic book cover things, mm-hmm. images for the comic. And I was like, that would be a great movie poster like there's that's it like what else could you because it was like it's there's a lot of characters what are you going to put on there it's hard you know uh-huh. how do you convey it and then that image and that's michael devise the the artist who made the comics we have two issues of and he's such an incredible artist so that that was an image he came up with but it was an alternate it was like an option for the cover of the comic yeah and then it was like no that has to be the what i love about it is that it hasn't become degraded by Sometimes when you make a movie poster, then Netflix gets your movie and they make like 20 Netflix versions of it. <laughs> <laughs> and the it's, AI it's kind of brutal because it. it's like, you know, that's not, it's like a movie poster is a part of the, the whole personality of the film. Yeah. And and so often it's a marketing department decision, you know, that you sometimes get a look in on, but you don't often get final say over. And that's what I love about your story about this poster is that it's it's steeped yeah. in the art of the film itself. Yeah, but if you make an if you make smaller films, independent films, and no one's losing like hundreds of millions of dollars, you do they do tend to give control to the to the person making it. So right. I was a little with the Bad Batch. I was a little like, what is this shit on Netflix? <laughs> what is this? Why is this? Why is this there? Like it's been fine. Like I look at them now, and I'm not as. But at the beginning, I was like, we made these amazing posters. Just use the amazing poster, you know. Like it's okay. Trust the director. We should talk about Death Becomes Her, which stars Goldie Hawn, Kate's mum, mm, Meryl right. Streep, Hell Bruce yeah. Willis, I Isabella mean, Rossellini. I mean, Isabella Rossellini. I mean, it's like it's like, and now a warning. Uh, she has the, now a warning like, oh my god Meryl Streep is at her they're all at their best Goldie Hawn in the beginning when she like goes through her post getting dumped like fat phase on the couch like when she's like oh my god I love that movie it's a masterful also how it's shot again it's got this like pulpy noir really really fun wide angle like Lenses and things, it's it's like hyper pulpy and noiry. Zemeckis is a he's such a master. Like for me, I revisit his films, he's always ahead of the if we're all magicians, basically pulling off some kind of magic trick, he's the one doing a certain trick first. Like he made the DeLorean fly first. He did like Forrest Gump, like he put him with Kennedy. Like nobody was doing stuff like 
he he was doing. And in this movie, like the gunshot hand through the like that stuff oh, yeah. was he's figuring out in camera with CG first, and he does it better than in those in that phase anyway. Too, it's like. Oh my god! And that scene in the doctor where it's Sydney, oh. it's Sydney Pollock. Oh, oh my god! god. Is that one of the greatest scene. scenes, like in the history of <laughs> film? The greatest scene. And then he He's he like, runs to find. This? <laughs> He runs to find the other doctors and then Bruce Willis looks for him and then he's all, he's having a heart attack in the next room. He's he's like dying because <laughs> so of what good. he just saw. Uh, okay, so for the listeners out there who haven't yet seen Death Becomes Her, which I Go believe is it. just yeah. sitting on Netflix right now for, you know, yeah. it's just right there. Let's just quickly, very quickly explain what the hell we're talking about, which is that basically Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn both get a chance at looking beautiful and young forever uh, whilst fighting over Bruce Willis, which, and, and in this film, Bruce Willis plays the dweebiest dweeb mm-hmm. of all dweebs. All of us dweebs. We have hope in the future. Oh my God. Hope for dweebs. <laughs> and Isabella Rossellini is the, is the person who has the key to eternal youth. And, uh, the and eternal also youth serum. Yes. And also the most amazing beaded yes. necklace that only just covers her nipples. I mean, this is some yeah. peak Rossellini uh, fashion going on in this film. Cleopatra. It's like she's oh, Cleopatra yeah, or something. Yeah. 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 I, I was about to say, I think growing up, I'd only seen the clips of the CGI things on like entertainment tonight like death becomes her look at the technology so like as a kid that's all i ever knew of this movie were those scenes like the hole between like in her stomach the head twisted around that was the and the head twisting around and when you look at the behind the scenes it's so dope how they did it it's so it's like a backwards it's incredible her walk it is incredible and it looks better than so much of the stuff they do with pure cg Mm -hmm. i'm i'm a little exhausted by you know dragons I really am. I'm just like less dragons, more death becomes her. Yeah. That's what we need. More, more walking forwards and heels. God, and it's so funny. <laughs> it's so dark and funny, but it, like funny. It's so. It's again like American Psycho. Actually, when I think about it, except for Never Ending Story, the other three are all like deep social, cultural, like satires mm. about the absurdity of certain obsessions Mm -hmm. obsession with like power and money the obsession with like beauty and perfection and the obsession with like having Mm -hmm. something cute and then like letting it get out of control i don't know consumerism gremlins is deep too oh so so obviously we're going there right now joe dante's (laughs) incredible i mean i've just written in my notes merry christmas we get to talk about gremlins christmas (laughs) has come early to the letterbox show and i couldn't be happier we Love this film. We had Joe Dante on the show last Christmas, which was such a pleasure. We got to talk to him about the kitchen scene. Um, we, oh, you know, so the Gremlins are in the kitchen, and Frances Lee McCain is just ah, oh, she's just the she's just like not in my kitchen, no fucking way, mm-hmm. and she I mean, just this, goes for it. This covers yeah. like the the movies that we talked about um, that they don't make anymore. And Gremlins, yes. I feel like, is the keystone of those types of movies where yeah, it's, it's like a horror, dark. all ages, comedy, Christmas movie. Like, Very dark. They feel impossible now, but looking <laughs> back, it's such a treat to rewatch these movies. It's like about, I think, I feel like the reason it works with everything where it goes, it's about that, like, which I definitely could relate to as a kid. 
even now, but definitely as a kid, it's that like wanting the gizmo. Like the、mm. gizmo, this little cutest thing ever. Just a wanted gizmo, you <laughs>、yeah. know? And I actually have a dog now that's pretty gizmo like.、Oh. If, if, you, if you Google,、uh, you might find pictures of him online because he's kind of famous. But like, <laughs> you want gizmo. So it's like you'll do anything to have gizmo, but like, gizmo has rules. If you want gizmo, there's responsibility. And then if you fuck up, Game over. All of society becomes, yeah. You have those, you have the gremlins having the time of their lives in that bar at the movie theater. The funny thing is, Gizmo for me represents what happens to your child after you give them the cute toy that they've been wanting for months and months and months and months.、Right. They finally get it, they rip the box open, they play with it for about two seconds, and then they turn into a complete asshole. Like, just. <laughs> <laughs> Just、yeah. completely. It's like, it's the kind of be careful what you wish for element of consumerism, I think. I feel like it, I would even go further and say, like, it's like all of American immediate gratification. It's like Labradoodles. Okay, well, I want that. And so I'm going to take these two dogs and we're going to make them, and everyone's going to like have a Labradoodle now. Like, anything. It's like, That、uh, instant gratification.、Uh, I、mm-hmm. just Googled your dog, by the way. You take your dog to the red carpet. This is outrageously cute. He helps. Yeah, he helps a lot. It's a little bit of a stressful, <laughs> weird, surreal thing to be on those. So he just、yeah. he knows how to do it. He's really, if you look at the pictures, you can see how he knows. He's way、I、better. <laughs> like, he knows what he's doing. I want to say that. It's stressful being on the other side of the rope at the red carpet as well. I was just covering New York Film Festival, and it's really like, first of all, there's all the photographers and they're just yelling your name, right? Because they want your eyeline in their shot. And then you finally get down to the reporters, and it's stressful for us as well. Because, it's like, what, what do you mean I've got one question? One question.、Yeah. And, and, and I'm going to try my best not to make it a stupid question and hope that you I- can also hear it above the noise. It's. It's, why do we do this to ourselves? I think, how are you feeling tonight is a good question. I appreciate it when that's、Ooh. what I get asked on those things because it's a fast one. And then I can just say, yeah, great, happy to be here with my cast, <laughs> excited about it. You know what I mean? Like, so what did you make this movie for? I'm like, uh, to come here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like someone asking you a deep question on your way to the bathroom. No, yeah, like, exactly. I, I don't, I'm not ready for this kind of question. I have stuff to do. I, <laughs> oh my God,、sure. give, it, give us some more tips. This is amazing. Amazing. We're going to be, Letterboxd are just going to be the best、That's、red、it. carpet no, reporters. <laughs> Next time you see Gemma on the red carpet, Gemma will have a dog under her arm. You'll、yeah. have your dog,、One、and、arm. it'll be at a beautiful, serendipitous moment. And I'm just going to be like, How are you feeling tonight? Every single person I ever get a microphone in front of. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> But here's, here's another take on what Gizmo represents. From Letterboxd member Willow McClay All Gizmo ever wanted to do was chill out. And watch movies. Gizmo spends basically all of his time in Gremlins being so captured in what was on screen during the various movies he decided to watch. So, in a way, everyone on this site, on Letterboxd, is Gizmo. I'd wager a good deal of us react the same way to sunlight as well. And that makes Gizmo the most relatable movie character of all time for cinephiles. Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> He is like Mona Lisa. He wants、yeah. to just watch movies, he's just hungry for movies. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest today was Anna Lily Amirpour. 
be sure to add her newest film, Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon, to your watch list. It's in some theaters and very much on demand right now. And The Outside is her episode of Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities anthology series, which drops on Netflix very soon. One more thing, keep an eye out for Lily's first book, Sent from My Slimy Brains. It's available for pre-order soon from her Instagram and her publisher, Hatton Beard. I can't decide whether I want you saying Blood Moon or you saying Slimy Brains as my Halloween ringtone. Either way... <laughs> They're both amazing. I think we should make them both available for Letterbox members. <laughs> Letterbox members who have horror in their bios so that they also yes, have the, the blood dripping. dripping blood that oh comes out. Uh, we also, we do have another podcast here at Letterboxd, Weekend Watchlist. It's mm. our weekly show where Mitchell, Slim and Mia explore the latest releases in cinemas and on streaming. That drops every Thursday, sometimes very famous voices turn up on Weekend Watchlist and I love that for you, Slim. You talking about yourself, your own <laughs> voice? Or are you talking about like filmmakers and I was and talking about actors? like Tar director Todd Field, but sure. Sure, sure. Also me. <laughs> Thanks to our crew, Jack, for the facts. Brian Formo for booking and looking after our guests. Sophie Shin for the episode transcript. Sam for the art. And to Monica for the theme music, which appropriately for spooky season is called Vampiros Dansotech. It's an outtake, an unused outtake. I love this fact, in case you haven't heard me say this before, from their soundtrack for What We Do in the Shadows, the original mm. film pre the FX series. Uh, you can always drop us a line at podcast at letterbox.com. We love getting your mail. The Letterbox Show is a tape deck production and um, slim. You should learn not to compete with me. I always win. <laughs> Well, what about the massacres in Sri Lanka, honey? Doesn't that affect us too? I mean, do you know anything about Sri Lanka? How, like, the Sikhs are killing, like, tons of Israelis over there? Come on, Bryce. There are a lot more important problems in Sri Lanka to worry about. Like what? Well, we have to end apartheid, for one, and slow down the nuclear arms race, stop terrorism, and world hunger. We have to provide food and shelter for the homeless and oppose racial discrimination and promote civil rights while also promoting equal rights for women. We have to encourage a return to traditional moral values. Most importantly, we have to promote general social concern and less materialism in young people. <laughs> Patrick, <laughs> how thought-provoking. This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast. Ooh.